There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Open Floor? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina of Sports Illustrated. Now, Michael, the Boston Celtics are in a full-fledged crisis, but I know that's the last thing in the world that you want to talk about. So I've set up today's show as a nice respite for you. You can use this weekend to lick your wounds, come around to the kind of the enveloping circus where Danny Ainge has to take to the airwaves and tell everybody he came really close to making a couple trades and try to tamp down all the anger here after a really, really ugly week of uh, of losses frankly but we got so many different questions on a whole bunch of topics from the open floor globe i thought we would try to bounce through them in kind of rapid fire fashion of course uh, i think the number one topic of discussion this week was the all-star snubs and this came in from scott in singapore he says i was left wondering if you guys were just trolling all of us termite toronto fans out there I'm not saying uh, Fred Van Vliet absolutely deserved to be an all-star, but he should at least be mentioned. He's a legit all-defensive player. He dropped 50 points in a game. His stats are better than Chris Middleton. Steph Curry doesn't look forward to playing against him. Guys like Zach Levine, Julius Randle, some random pacer uh, in DeMontis Sabonis, the tall guy in Orlando, Nikola Vucevic. Do you guys really want to watch those guys in the All-Star game, or do you just want to see Fred doing his thing? So, Michael, now some of those guys got in, including Zach Levine and Julius Randle. Sabonis did not. Vucevic did. And Fred Van Vliet did not. When you were stepping back from the announcements, uh, who did you think were the biggest all-star snubs? 
And does Scott have a point here? Because the Toronto Raptors are just one more team that have passed the Boston Celtics in the standings. They got no All-Stars, Michael, and Boston's sitting there with two. First of all, I I know you love what's going on in Boston right now, so I'm happy for you um, uh, just rejoicing in their demise right now. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, with Fred Van Vliet, like... I we I that was a mea culpa on my part. I should have mentioned his name when we were having that episode, and uh, he's been very good. I I would not say that he's uh, worthy of an All Star spot. I would say that he is a definite honorable mention. I love his his play on defense, in particular has just been tremendous. And I wrote a piece on SI today about how. Uh, the Raptors have gone small in their starting lineup, and they can only do that because guys like Van Vliet, who would normally be undersized, are just so good on the defensive end. So shout out to him. He's he's terrific. Um, not an all-star, but he's terrific. Um, for me, when I looked at the snubs, my two biggest ones um, were Chris Middleton and uh, Bam Adebayo. Those are two guys who I had on my team. And I guess like... Middleton I, was a crime, you know, Michael. Come on, man. How, how did they leave Chris Middleton off? Let me ask you this, point blank. Middleton or Tatum? Who deserved to be there? Middleton. It's not really a Tatum thing because Tatum was Tatum's an all-star. Like, come on, stop. Um, I'm just I, saying if you had to pick one, I would take Middleton this year over Tatum. And there's a bunch of other guys below Tatum on the pecking order who also made it. So I agree, it's not necessarily a Tatum problem, but I'm just saying if you can only take one on this year's group, I'm taking Middleton, and I'm definitely taking Middleton over about half the guys that made this team. Middleton has been, uh, I mean, just real quick disclaimer, Tatum, like, lock all-star, so stop it. But Middleton has been, um, you know, he's been an all-star the last two seasons, and this year he was—he's been better <laughs> than you know just from the first couple of months of this year compared to um, his whole body of work over those previous two seasons. So I was just uh, like I didn't even ever consider a possibility where he didn't make it. Like it, it, I had to—I saw the reserves and the fact that his name was not brought up. I thought there was like a mistake or something, like someone screwed up, and I, it was like it, I was flabbergasted. I mean, he's on a winning team, third team in the East right now in the standings, despite not having Drew Holiday for the past ten games. He's like fifty, forty, ninety. He plays pretty good defense uh and uh he's upped his playmaking this year too he was leading the milwaukee bucks in assists for most of this season i think Giannis recently passed him in assists per game but uh middleton's like terrific and i yeah i don't even get that one I'm so sorry. who would you take off if, if it was you were in charge and would you have selected middleton as the replacement for davis rather than booker Ooh. um I guess I'll I'll answer the first part. I I th- look. Um, ben Simmons has been uh, ridiculous over the past couple weeks, but I I kind of feel like his um, his prodigious reputation, his team's record, and people just thinking that the Sixers deserve two players is why he's in the All Star game. Um, on the whole, for the entire season, it's just it's not All Star worthy for me. I think there's some recency bias here. Um, and, you know, for someone who averaged 12 points a game and barely shot over 50% in his first 20 games, 
Uh, I, like th- we're just kind of forgetting that play and the fact that when he's on the floor without Joel Embiid, the Sixers are outscored by like 11 points per 100 possessions. So I I don't get that one. I'm sorry. He didn't make my team. Um, I would pick like Fred Van Vliet, frankly, over Ben Simmons. I'd pick Chris Middleton. I, I really don't see the argument for um, for Bam, for Simmons over Bam either. They're so similar in a lot of ways, but I see like the parts of Bam's game that are just slightly superior Mike. in the way that he's improved from last year to this year. So it's just, it, I don't know. I just can't do it. With Michael, Simmons. I want to see this coach's convention. Let's get Rick Carlisle to call, a, you know, a group meeting of all these coaches who voted on this. And I want to see, you know, hands raised who thinks Julius Randle is better than Bam Adebayo? Who thinks that he had a more deserving yeah. all-star season? <laughs> Who do you want to see in the playoffs You know more? Yeah. Give me a break. I mean, look, Julius Randle has had an awesome season, and I understand people are going to get real defensive because, you know, teams like the Knicks and the Bulls, they haven't had players in the all-star game in a long time, and both Randle and Levine are having career years. There's no question about it. But when you're saying, like, who who is really – you know, if we're ranking these players tiers of quality, Bam Adebayo is multiple tiers above Julius Randle in terms of all-around impact, effectiveness, and his case was held back by a whole bunch of teammates who were all out of the lineup for extended stretches, and I personally didn't count that against him. I looked at, you know, Miami, uh, Dallas, Mm -hmm. and Washington as being kind of like in their own category of teams that were dealing with all sorts of crazy stuff. Bam was out there every single night playing huge minutes, doing it consistently on both ends and putting up giant numbers. I just do not understand that. And look, I expect it from the fans. I even somewhat expect it from the media members. But when the coaches are out here doing it for the Graham Michael with their votes, I mean, come on, give me a break. We're just going viral (laughs) with our votes now. That's all we care about. Nobody wants to see Bam out of bio in the playoffs if you're one of these coaches. And and same deal, by the way, for Chris Middleton. I it, This guy has been a rock for like three or four straight years, regular season, postseason. Like you mentioned, efficiency off the charts this year. A major contributor to a top five offense. Milwaukee's defense has regressed a little bit. I attribute that more to the pieces around their core guys as opposed to the core guys. And they're still one of the few teams that can keep their head above water in the Eastern Conference. They deserve to have two representatives too. Joe me crazy. I don't know what these coaches are doing. I'm not sure if the coaches are letting their kids make the picks this year, Michael, or what's going on. But this is not what I've come to expect for the coaches. You can usually rely on the coaches for those Joe Johnson selections, right? You know, the the under-the-radar guys who just kind of churn out the, the stats night after night and maybe don't get the acclaim. This year, they went straight for the hype beast, man. It kills me. Uh, yeah, I'm 100% agreeance with you. I, it seems to me, though, that you are – so you, you're good with Simmons. You kind of – you dodged that whole thing that I said about him. No, I, um, I'm with you. Like, went after he's one of the least worthy of these all-star selections, right? I still would have rewarded Philadelphia's team success. Your point on the recency bias is absolutely true, but we got a number of candidates here who have been trying to make crazy all-star pushes, really bending over backwards, doing whatever they can to get that all-star nomination over the last couple of weeks. And so I did try to resist that whenever possible. Uh, You know, with Simmons, I just like the complete play. I'm always going to default to that. You know, if you're a two-way contributor impact guy on a winning team, that's going to count a lot for me. I did see you had a a tweet, Michael, that said something along the lines of, I don't want to mischaracterize it, so fix it if I have it right. But you said that (laughs) certain people are focusing too much on winning in a small sample size. Is that correct? 
when we're, when we're making these yes, picks. That is correct. So should we yes. even keep score, Michael, or do we just go out there and roll the ball and have fun? I mean, come on, it's got to be about wins this year, right? If no teams can win, shouldn't we be reward- rewarding the hardest part of the sport right now? Hmm. I agree that winning is important. I, my greater uh, messaging there was like, like Nikola Vucevic is an all-star, right? So he's an all-star because he's having a tremendous season and everybody around him has been decimated by injury. And it's not his fault that his team is 13 and 19. It's just not. Like they would, they've been in the playoffs the past couple seasons. Um, when healthy, they're very solid. And he is the biggest reason why. So for him to be in the all-star game, for Beal to be in the All-Star game. like I agree with these selections because these players are having very high-quality seasons. I look at Bam, whose team, as you said, has struggled for reasons that are way out of his control. I mean, it's just, it's, it is what it is. And he's been playing tremendous basketball. So I just think that it matters, but not to the degree that people are, you know, saying that, um, like I said, like the Sixers are the best team. So that means they must have two players well, uh, like, i just don't think that you can say that i season. hear you so what if we switch ben simmons julius randall i mean don't you think the sixers are worse and aren't the knicks probably better well we can do this game you know until we're blue in the face like the, the, yeah pro- i mean yes probably. <laughs> okay so that should probably uh, would, count right I, I mean yeah 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 i mean it's like randall shooting threes so he would probably be a better fit next to joel Embiid this season than ben simmons but no i don't want to bash ben simmons because i think that he's from what i've seen the past couple weeks in particular he's turned the corner in a way that is really scary i think for the rest of the league or it should be like this is the guy who like when i watch him play forget about the three-point shooting for a second my big my biggest criticism is like i need this player to catch the ball at the elbow and score with the shot clock winding down can he do that in a playoff game like a big playoff moment and obviously we're not in the playoffs right now but he's making plays like that regularly, um, just face up, straight up ISO, and shaking his man, getting to the rim, finishing and ones. Like that's that's the type of stuff that uh, should be it should terrify everyone because it's unstop. He's an unstoppable player when he's that aggressive. So I don't want to be too critical of him, but just you know we're looking at the bigger the bigger picture here and taking as much evidence as possible into account. And his first couple weeks of the season were just not very good. They were, they were, they were a slow start. He eased his way into it like a number of players did. There's no question there. So Adam Silver did name Devin Booker as the injury replacement for Anthony Davis. I mentioned this earlier. So that's kind of a clean fit because it's a Western Conference thing. I'm sure it's also a popular pick among the players because you had LeBron James, CJ McCollum, uh, Reggie Miller, Jamal Crawford all coming out on behalf of uh, Booker saying he was the most deserving uh, or he was, the, I guess, the biggest snub you know, before he was uh, selected. Mm-hmm. They kind of were telegraphing who they wanted Adam Silver to name as their replacement. Do you think Adam Silver's decision was made by him or was it made by LeBron and the fans? (laughs) And what does Chris Middleton have to do to sneak into this conversation? Michael, don't you think Middleton was a bigger snub than Devin Booker? Um, I I mean, I I think just on par, I do. I think that that's fair to say, although Booker's another one of those guys who, like when I put my team together... um, a few weeks back, I had De'Aaron Fox in over Booker, and if I were to do my team today, I'm obviously not picking De'Aaron Fox based on what we've seen since I put that team together 
um, like Booker would probably be uh, an all star. And so when I look at um, when I look at Devin Booker's case, I'm more fascinated by the fact that Chris Paul made it like straight up over him because I just I, like I don't know. I think Chris Paul's stupendous, obviously, but. Uh, you kind of look at their cases side by side, and Devin Booker is, I mean, he's been their best player uh, this season. I think that that's I, like, I don't know. That fair I, to say? I, no, I go Chris Paul for sure. I don't think it's a coincidence. And there's been a lot of back and forth. I read a really nice column from Tom Ziller this week that said, look, I mean, everyone called Booker just to score his entire career and, you know, how it didn't translate to victory earlier. Then he decides to accept a smaller role. Uh, you know, to accommodate Chris Paul, all of a sudden it works. They're able to kind of strike a pretty solid balance. It hasn't been perfect, but it's been good enough to, you know, shoot them up in the standings. But it comes at the expense of Booker's scoring number. And then people want to hold that against him uh, in these kinds of conversations. And I'm with Ziller. I mean, this is my favorite version of Booker ever. I didn't go head over heels for the guy who's chasing 70 points or who's putting up 35 points tonight in these meaningless games that the Phoenix Suns are playing for year after year. I like the guy who was bought into the team concept in the bubble leading wins, right? And hitting big shots in key moments. I like the guy who's willing to sacrifice for the team this season to allow Chris Paul to come in and orchestrate. Chris Paul just orchestrates at a much higher level than Devin Booker does. If you took either one of those guys off the court, um, it would be much harder to replace what Chris Paul does from an organizational standpoint in terms of what he's doing, half-court offense, you know, setting up mismatches and all that stuff. Um, I, I think he was a deserving selection for Phoenix personally. I think if you're saying who's a more talented player or whatever, you know, skilled or whatever word some of these players favor when they describe Booker, then there's a case that it might be Booker. But I think Paul was more central to driving their winning and, and getting more out of his teammates than Booker is. And I didn't think Booker was for a lot of the season and what you're describing with Simmons kind of applied to Booker too, didn't it? He got kind of a slow start from mm -hmm. a scoring and efficiency yep. standpoint. I also think like he's not the world's highest impact defensive player. He's not a big time rebounder. I think he's a good but not great playmaker for his teammates. So he was my last guy snubbed. Um, and if it was me, I think I probably would have either taken Middleton or Mike Conley as the injury replacement over Booker, but he was right there in that mix. And if you just did it, you know, completely regardless of conference and you just took 24 all-stars, I would have had Booker this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, Booker, he's creeping towards 50, 40, 90 now. And over the past, uh, his past like 10 games, I think it is, he's basically there. Might be a little bit low in free throw percentage. But he's been just, he's been absolutely phenomenal. And this is a, a trend this season that we've seen that's been mentioned plenty of times, uh, just how Phoenix is so good when only one of uh, Booker or CP is on the floor and the other one's on the bench. And they're slightly better. I think they're, they're, they're plus 14 points per 100 possessions when CP is on the floor without Booker and plus 11 when it's Booker without CP, which is just really funny because when they're together, it's plus like one or two, something like that. So um, it's just it's really difficult to kind of parse between those two. Um, you brought up Conley. I just I thought it would have been really awesome um, if Adam Silver just picked Mike Conley. Like, come on. Like, what does this guy – I mean, what does he have to do? Probably, like, average 25 points a game or something like that. But his contributions to by far the best team in the NBA are obvious when you watch that team play basketball. And, you know, I'm watching him last night just, like, dice up the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, his pull-up 
threes, the sidestep threes. Um, he's just, I just love Mike Conley. And well, it would have been a, he looks. Like it would have been a great yeah. heat check from Adam Silver if he's just like, yeah, guys, you all have to go to Atlanta for the All Star game. You don't want, yes, guys. I see on Twitter that Booker is trending because LeBron's tweeting about him. But sorry. <laughs> I'm rewarding winning. I'm rewarding the steady uh, Utah Jazz. Mike Conley, you get your first all-star selection. That would have been hilarious and amazing. I wonder if it would have prompted a labor battle. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, who knows? Uh, I'm laying it on a little thick. I think that when you're looking at Utah's uh, success here, and I know you're pushing back on this idea of Philly getting two representatives. I mean, Utah, they have a very strong case that they deserve three. They've been a completely in a class by themselves. They did it again. Uh, you know, last night just smoking the Lakers. Now, granted, LA was out without Anthony Davis. They're in the midst of a little Celtics-like tailspin right now. And we got a question here uh, from Brandon in LA. He says, do you guys remember back before the season started when everybody on earth was saying the Lakers were not only the clear favorites, but they were by far the deepest team in the league? And he, he cites a whole number of people who apparently said that. And then he credits us, Michael, for not necessarily <laughs> quite going as uh, far overboard as, as some other places. But then he says, now that we're looking at this without Anthony Davis and everything that else is, that's happened this season... How deep really are these LA Lakers? Is there something to be concerned about? And can we look at these Marcus Gasol and Wes Matthews signings and say they were massive mistakes? And his final note here is that the Nets, Clippers, Nuggets, 76ers, and Celtics have all lost key players for a decent amount of time, and all of them function better when they're missing guys than the Lakers. So what do you think of his premise here? I mean, have they been exposed a little bit without Anthony Davis? Have some of these guys like, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker and some of these other players that, you know, get hyped up, the Alex Caruso's of the world, do they look different? Kyle Kuzma, do they look different now that they're being asked to do more in Davis's absence? Or was this just an inevitable swoon from the Lakers after kind of a, a quick turnaround last offseason? No, I mean, none of this should be that surprising. Like, I think they are deep, but their depth is like is impressive because Anthony Davis is on the team and Dennis Schroeder is on the team. So when you take your second and your third leading scorer off a roster and it's LeBron plus like no other playmakers, so LeBron sits, you're just you're dead in the water. Like it, this shouldn't surprise anybody. Like the fact that they're in a swoon right now. I mean, Anthony Davis is an MVP candidate just based on his talent. Schroeder is a critical component for their team, and he's been out because of COVID health and safety protocols. And LeBron can't do everything. I mean, like LeBron can't. Um, play these he can't surpass 40 minutes a night and so um you don't want to overexert him so i I just like i i'm not that critical honestly of the supporting cast the supporting cast is there and makes sense to support ad and lebron when ad is out asking taylor horton tucker to, to step into your starting lineup and you know run an offense or asking Wes Matthews to make plays off the bounce or asking Kyle Kuzma to take 25 shots like whatever like these guys have very specific roles that make sense for a championship team 
right now they're not a championship team because those guys are forced into bigger roles and more responsibility, if that makes any sense. Like, it's, it doesn't really surprise me at no, all. No, I'm with you. Look, there was that whole conversation. Does Anthony Davis' injury going down, does that help or hurt LeBron's MVP case? I was on the hurt side because I was thinking, it killed yeah, <laughs> well, look, he's already has this huge burden, right? And now you're piling more on top. And to me, the burden didn't really make a ton of sense when Anthony Davis was on the court. And now it makes no sense whatsoever. I love that LeBron will always refuse uh, to admit when he's tired. He's just completely in denial about the fatigue. But to me, I look at three factors when it comes to LeBron. Is he settling for too many three-pointers? Is he making uncharacteristic turnovers? Is he making the extra effort defensive plays? If those three things change, he's tired. And right now, he's absolutely tired. I don't get why they're not trying to find some way to manage this thing a little bit more carefully. I understand the desire and the drive uh, for the MVP, but I just really don't think it's going to be one right now in February. This is such a tight race with so many candidates. I feel like it's coming down to like probably the fourth quarter of the season anyway. Now is the time to you know get yourself a little breather. And if the losses happen, the losses happen. I mean, Michael, let me put it this way. If the Lakers are falling, you know, to fifth or sixth in the Western Conference standings, is there a team in that group where if they're in a first round matchup, all of a sudden they're going to fear that team, right? Like what is the downside risk of sliding here a little bit? Of course, you don't want negative momentum to stick, but, you know, you're you're kind of calling this inevitable during Anthony Davis's absence. But uh, is there any real repercussions from it? Like what does it matter, I guess, is my question. Hmm, I mean... Just like looking at the standings now, let's let's just for the sake of this discussion pretend everything is static and the Lakers fall to fourth or fifth. Like they would play the Phoenix Suns in round one. So already, like that's that's not a fun matchup. Like Phoenix is very good, very deep. They play basketball in a lot of different ways and they have star power. Uh, round two would be most likely the Utah Jazz. Um, the jazz, the jazz are just. I mean, we're. I know we're going to talk about them in a little bit. They are a true contender. I'm like, I don't care what anyone says. They are, um, and that's not someone you want to play in the in the second round. They're just. That's. It's like that's that's a conference finals finals type of matchup right there that you build. Michael, to. we're we're so right about there. three weeks away from. Will the Jazz lose a playoff game? You know, can they go 16-0? and I mean, we're getting there. We're trending towards that territory, Michael. It's incredible. Yeah, no, they're, they're ridiculous. Um, and so, assuming they stay healthy. So, like, those are your first two opponents. And then, guess what? If you get through both of them, you probably have to go up against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the conference finals. And this is before you even get to the NBA finals. So, I think that, you know, dropping two, four, or five... It's not exactly ideal if you're the Lakers. I'm not like I'm not crossing them off entirely, of course, if that were to happen because they have LeBron James on their team and only a fool, aka me, in every single round of the playoffs in the bubble would rule out a team that has LeBron James on it. Um, but it's just yeah, that would be that would be quite the uphill climb for them yeah they're they're an interesting spot. i'm not in panic mode at all about the lakers on that side of it but when we're looking at the jazz and you know i understand jazz fans who look at that game and say hey this wasn't about the lakers crumbling this was about us rolling them over just like we're rolling everybody over and and kind of demanding and, and asking for that respect and honestly i think that's totally fair right now like if i gave you a one to ten scale michael and i said one the utah jazz will not be the nba 
champions no matter what. And 10 is the Utah Jazz are guaranteed to be the 2021 NBA champions. What's your number on that scale? Because I think over the course of the last five weeks, I probably have gone from like a three or maybe even like a 2.5. I'm kind of creeping up. I'm flirting with like a five or a six right now, Michael. Um, wow. I, I know. And this is why I'm, I'm joking that like we're three weeks away from just saying they're never going to lose again because night after night, they're the only team that's consistent, locked in, disciplined, and together. And it's a weird year. And I know teams are going to definitely get back healthy. And there's some really interesting teams that match up well with them. But I don't know. I'm I'm bordering, flirting with this idea that maybe they're the favorites right now. Well, it is late February, so like, congratulations if you're the favorite. Now is the time to um, uh, to I, get I, in the hype before the inevitable uh, turnaround. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of basketball to be played for sure. Okay, uh, fair enough. They need, so where are you on the scale? Yeah. I'm. I think I'm at a four. Honestly, no, that's very restrained. Um, I respect that. That's probably where I should be. So I'm going to tip my hat to you. Let me ask you, what holds them back? Like just real quick, if you're saying what are the quote unquote weaknesses or exploitable holes or like what are the things you think if they do crash and burn and everybody has the whole, oh, they're just like the 2015 Hawks, you know, uh, comeback. What are the mm-hmm. things that are going to keep them from from getting where they want to go? Uh, for me, it's almost the same every year, and it's do you have someone who's big enough on the wing to guard LeBron, Kawhi, Luka, whoever, you know, those big, beefy um, forwards who just are so dominant for the opposing team's offense. Like, is Royce O'Neal that guy? I, I don't know. He's kind of gotten tossed around a little bit this season by LeBron, by Kawhi, Um by that type of player so when you go into the playoffs I think you need someone like that who not shut that person down because no one can shut LeBron down but guard him in a way that really lets everybody else stay at home where you don't have to panic and double and and all that so that's like that's my big my biggest concern like easily with the Jazz what other ones are there or are they looking are they yeah I want want your top three because I'm right there (laughs) with you another one that I've got would be okay Rudy Gobert Mm -hmm. matchups in the playoffs right like the Mm. Jazz fans love to say oh you know it's it's an overstated point he actually holds up a lot better in certain situations and he gets credit for everybody just focuses on that one highlight of Steph Curry spinning him around and they try to say he's not a playoff defender but I mean, Chris Paul's sniping him from the mid-range in a playoff series, and there's been some other series where he's had some trickier uh, matchups. And so I I would include him uh, on this list, even though he's their best player and their most Mm. important player, just in terms of, okay, well, have they figured out well enough how to utilize his strengths and cover his weaknesses? Do they have the right personnel mix this year, which they didn't have in previous postseasons, to get that done? I would have that as one of my top three. Um, what else would you have on your list? I had that on my list as well. I don't see – like I think the Utah Jazz are very happy that James Harden is no longer in the conference because he's he is the – I mean, him and Steph, I guess – are just the peak matchup nightmares in that regard because of the pull-up three. But I, I, I actually think that Gobert will be um, a positive on the defensive end throughout whatever happens in the playoffs with them. I don't see any any matchup that can totally embarrass them um, or him. Um, but my, my other one is Mike Conley's health. Um, Mike Conley's getting up there in age a little bit. Uh, he tends to miss time. Um, 
uh, with little knickknack injuries, you know, pulled hamstring here, uh, whatever it may be. So I, I just think that he needs to be operating um, at full throttle for this team to actually have a chance to win the championship. If he's not 100%, then or as close to 100% as anyone can be heading into the playoffs, then I, I think that they are a much lesser team. No, I'm with you. They're, they're not perfect. No team is perfect. And I do feel like they're maybe um, getting as much positive attention as possible because they have had excellent availability for all their main guys, right? They've been able to fill in here and there, with, you know, if Conley misses time or or Mitchell misses time. But last year, they looked like a totally different uh, team in the playoffs without Bogdanovich. So um, even though they're super deep, even though they're getting awesome contributions from shooters all over the court, even though like no one piece is uh, you know like unreplaceable other than probably Gobert in their formula. It's it's not a top heavy group by any stretch. It's it's very balanced and very deep. It's also relying upon still good health, and we haven't seen them like fully tested that way this season. And when they were tested that way last season, it looked a lot different. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. All right, Michael, let's shift gears here because we got some really thoughtful responses to our conversation about Gerson Rosas replacing Ryan Saunders with Chris Finch as his coach midseason, kind of poaching Finch from the Toronto Raptors. Um, Not sure it's gone super well for them so far this week. A couple losses, I believe, since that move. Waz uh, emails in to say, 
Garrison Rosas is the first Latino NBA team president. Few individuals in the NBA are more on the outside of the good old boys network than Garrison Rosas. Carl Anthony Towns commented on David Vanterpool as a man that looks like me being a reason uh, that he wanted to see him get an opportunity to coach. But Gerson Rosas doesn't have nearly as many people who look like him in the NBA. He needs to do what he thinks is best to try to maintain his leadership position in a world where he's not really a part of the good old boys club or the quote-unquote players club. And I think that's um, an interesting point raised by Waz. I did wish I had mentioned something along those lines during our earlier conversation. I wrote a story about Gerson Rosas's. Uh, uh, you know his his path to becoming the first Latino president in the NBA, and he interviewed over and over and over for lead GM jobs, and he just never really uh, found the the right fit. I'm sure he felt like doors were kind of being closed in his face at various points along the way. He was so excited and thrilled to finally get that opportunity in Minnesota, and he absolutely views himself as a trailblazer um, for those uh, in his community. And I think that um, what other people would push back on is say, look, I mean, you know, Garrison, you got a lot of interviews along the way, right? There was a lot of no's, but there was at least an interview process. And I think what we're hearing even from the coaches association or from, you know, individual sources around the league is saying like, where was the interview process in this particular situation? How did you just jump straight to a guy rather than um, at least, you know, spreading out the the discussion and, and listening to multiple candidates and, and weighing things a little bit more deeply than he seemed to have done. Rosas's defense to that was that he had conducted a round of coaching interviews when he named Ryan Saunders a couple years ago as the full-time head coach. And so he just leaned on that experience. Are you buying that explanation? Um, it does, you know, because of the ties with Finch, it just kind of feels like he had the guy in mind that he wanted to put into that spot um, and that this wasn't necessarily like a full exercise of due diligence in this particular moment. Um, are, do you see the criticism still after Waz's point uh, about maybe not opening up the search wide enough and giving uh, candidates, and particularly minority candidates, the opportunity to interview for this job. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, and I'm pretty sure I've already said this on our last episode, but, like, I I, I, I personally, yeah, I acknowledge that um, Gerson Rosas has had um, myriad obstacles that... Uh, someone with his same exact resume who was white would not have. Um, that's absolutely true. But um, someone could then say about the way he um, uh, conducted this process here in hiring Chris Finch is that nobody should understand the problem of, uh, like, I'm not saying it was a discriminatory hiring practice, but um, nobody should understand the, the problems that are just inherent in the NBA right now with regards to opportunities in front offices and coaching staffs more than him. So that's a little frustrating just from that perspective. I do understand Waz's point about how, you know, uh, once he gets, once Gerson has gotten there, you know, he wants to do everything in his power to stay there. And he knows Chris Finch and he trusts Chris Finch. And uh, when he, you know, he's already interviewed a diverse set of candidates before they decided to bring Ryan Saunders back, which in hindsight might have been a little bit of a mistake. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of nuance here. It's not really about Gearson, though. It's about the environment in which he's forced to uh, function in and, and work in. And so... Um, I don't like I, I don't necessarily blame him. I understand the pressures that he is under, 
but it's it's just more it speaks to the frustrations of this system and when you see the same thing happen over and over again and you know you are the person who has recently most recently hired a white candidate without um, really going out of your way to 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 interview others with more diverse backgrounds then there will be criticism and so it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated thing and it, it's but I, fundamentally I think that it is, uh, you know, it's an issue when you just kind of bring someone in, and, and even though you think that he could be hired somewhere else, and that would be a big bummer to you because you trust them, etc. It's just a bummer that no other candidates were seriously considered for this position. For sure. And look, uh, in Rosas's defense, he has a very diverse front office. Uh, his hires have been diverse really from day one. He's stressed that for sure. And so I'm thinking he's he's probably coming at this saying like, I can't believe I'm getting criticized for this. I mean, look at my track record of hiring. And that's, uh, that's an understandable position too. The toughest part of the pressure in this situation to me was the time pressure, right? Because you have to make a decision quickly in between games during a condensed schedule. So it's not exactly like you can conduct, you know, 10 Zoom interviews and have a, a, a broad reaching, uh, you know, coaching surge in that kind of time. And so he, he was in a, a very tricky spot. Um, but I do think it kind of goes back to what you were hinting at almost, uh, you know, this is almost a factor of, you know, be the change that you want to see in a certain way, right? Like if you've gone through the, the worst parts of the process, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, you're able to, avoid those pitfalls in the future. I do think this might have been a situation that was better handled before the season, right? I mean, could this have been a situation where it was time to reassess the coaching direction for that franchise before they came into this year after the long layoff, uh, you know, in uh, you know because they didn't play in the bubble and all that? It might have been better handled then. We got one other Wolves comment here from Brian who says, I'm checking in uh, about your discussion on Ryan Saunders. It was a totally classless move by the Wolves to make Ryan get on a plane with his wife, who's due to give birth any second, only to fire him 24 hours later. Ryan was in over his head from the beginning. I think he'll be a great NBA coach someday, but he just wasn't ready. I feel like Rosas felt pressure from Glenn Taylor to give Ryan the job when he wasn't ready. I'm fine with the Finch hiring and the timing. If he's your guy and he's going to be on everybody's list in the offseason, just get it done and give him a head start on building a rapport with the team. This season is lost, but that doesn't mean they can't get a vibe going. And I don't think this was disrespectful to David Vanderpool. They have the worst defense in the league and they haven't gotten much better. It's true that this team as built is never going to be a shutdown defensive squad, but it's hard not to hold the defensive coordinator responsible for a lack of improvement on the defensive side of the ball. So what do you make of that, uh, Michael, this pushback from some people who are saying, look, like we understand that Vanderpool is the associate head coach, but what does his track record, you know, and what has the team look like with him there? I mean, is that actually a strike against him? I mean, I don't think that that's fair at all um just because someone is an offensive or a defensive coordinator i don't think that we can attribute 100 percent of what takes place on that side of the ball as just an assessment of that person's ability to coach i mean you there's a, there's a million different factors including like the head coach is the guy who makes final decisions in just about every area so uh, you know, going from that to the personnel, uh, the fact that he was working with incredibly inexperienced players, guys in and out of the lineup due to injury. I mean, it's just uh, players who just aren't good defenders or smart defenders or intuitive defenders or physically capable defenders. Michael, I mean, are you like, saying I, that, you that Chris Finch is probably going to have bad <laughs> defensive numbers with this group too? 
You know, I think so. <laughs> I think that, yeah, yeah. I think that the defense will still be bad. Yeah, I don't think it matters who's coaching. Yeah, I mean, just one point on this. I think this term defensive coordinator, um, it varies a lot from situation to situation, right? Like there are definitely some head coaches who view themselves more as like personality managers or ego managers or sort of big picture thinkers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm just going to delegate the nuts and bolts of the defense and how we're executing and like, you know, play to play. I want, you know, a certain coach to just like completely watch that, right? There's a very big difference between how Doc Rivers might manage a game versus how an Eric Spolstra is, you know, calling out zones play after play after play after play during the playoffs, right? And so there are going to be some assistant coaches who are kind of empowered in that way, uh, but not always, right? And and so it's difficult to know exactly how much authority any individual assistant coach has in that kind of a situation, regardless of that label. Yeah, I was just going to say it's like it's not David Vanderpool's fault if, for example, uh, Nas Reed uh, completely falls for a keeper on a DHO like six times in a row and he's yelling at him to watch out for it and he's not um, making any reactions or any adjustments. Like that's just like the coach can only do so many things and i think that this goes back to just the difficulty of of assessing who is a good coach and who is a bad coach but that was a really good point you made about like the way that different head coaches treat their responsibilities and i don't i don't know for sure um maybe i spoke incorrectly earlier about like what ex- how exactly ryan saunders operated and 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 treated the head coach position but i would imagine he had some influence over the defensive side of the ball well ultimately he got fired so he was deemed responsible right like and that, that's probably <laughs> the best way to look at it like you know if if you're really feeling like hey this guy is our defensive coordinator and the defense is broken and that's why we're losing Mm -hmm. guess what you fire the defensive coordinator that's how it works and that's not what happened in that situation so and by the way their offense sucked too so that's the other factor um chris (laughs) finch uh more power to you good luck it it will take a while and timberwolves fans hang on it's going to be a long ride um but your anthony edwards hyping michael does feel like it's kind of gaining some momentum am i right yeah, sure. I'm, I don't even know where you're going with this, but I'm all for no, I was just it. trying to tee you up to do your, your typical gushing about Anthony Edwards' oh. potential and trying to give the Timberwolves <laughs> fans something to cling cling to because right now they're caught up in uh, you know labor disagreements and hiring practices, and that's not what the NBA is really supposed to be about, especially when you have the worst record in the league. The other day I was watching the Timberwolves Bucks game and like the 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 Timberwolves were totally thrashed and outmatched but um Anthony Edwards blocked a Chris Middleton pull-up jumper and that's one of the toughest shots to block in the league. He's at that high release, the timing is all weird. He usually drifts back and uh, he's so comfortable uh hitting that shot contested and 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 Anthony Edwards blocked it and I was like, "Damn, that's my guy is just Scotty Pippen out here. Yeah, Ryan Saunders just holding him back. Now it's time. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be a fun one to track. I like this draft class a lot. I mean, LaMelo continues to get a lot of buzz, a lot of praise. Well-deserved there. Uh, and he's got Charlotte above Boston in the standing. So you love to see the, that that from, uh, from the Hornets. Michael, we got a question here from Taylor in Idaho. And it kind of dovetails with a conversation I had with our special guest on Open Floor yesterday, Haley O'Shaughnessy. Now, she's got a new podcast called Spinsters. It's with Blue Wire. She was very gracious to talk about that podcast. And to, actually, Michael, she gave me 
an astrology reading live on the episode, and we talked about some all-star snubs and how we would personally handle all-star snubs. But the one thing I was trying to get Haley to do, Michael, was to try to convince you to become uh, a little bit more pro-Brooklyn Nets. I just feel like Kyrie broke your heart in Boston and James Harden broke your heart in Houston. And you're, you've got this super team right in your lap there in Brooklyn, and you just really are not embracing them. And here they go. I believe it's a seven-game winning streak right now, looking just awesome, even though Kevin Durant's been sidelined for quite a bit. And so here's what Taylor has to say. And by the way, Haley had your back. She refused to take the bait. She did not want to pressure you into being a Brooklyn Nets fan. I'm sure that you enjoyed that and appreciated it. But Taylor's back for more. He says, do me a favor, Ben. Ask Michael to give the Nets some generic praise. <laughs> During the playoffs, he continually discounted the Lakers. And as we know, he was wrong every round. In the finals, I almost asked him to root for the Lakers so that the Heat would have a chance. This time, I'm not making that mistake. Please, please, please. Michael, I need you to root for the Nets. I'm afraid the only thing that will stop them is either an internal implosion or penis praise. They must be stopped. So this is a whole different angle coming from Taylor. Basically, he wants you to deploy the Michael Pena SI jinx on the Brooklyn Nets. Are you willing to do it? Well, first of all, uh, thank you to Haley. I listened to that episode. It was very good. Um from front to back and I appreciate the support. So shout out to Haley and everyone should subscribe to her new It podcast. was an incredible display um, of loyalty. I was I was trying hard, Michael. You could hear it in my voice. I have four or five <laughs> I, oh, different techniques trying to get her, kind of coax her towards taking my side. I just couldn't do it. It was unbelievable. Ben. It was like the United Nations, you know, she was just like right down the middle, would not would not do it. It was a very strange sensation listening to you bash me, and I couldn't speak. Like, I'm talking to myself <laughs> uh, in my well, living room. Well, here's the thing. Let's <laughs> clear it out. Oh, he can't Let's hear me. Let's clear it out, Michael. This podcast is called Open Floor. Give it back to me. Whatever you want to get off your chest, I will take it silently right now. I do apologize that you weren't able to defend yourself. I was trying to be fair, in all honesty. I was just trying to coerce you a little bit towards this Brooklyn Nets stuff, you know? Honestly, I was I was stunned. I thought my phone broke or or Verizon cut off my service when I didn't get any text messages from you after Luca hit the buzzer beater against the Celtics. I was like, did something happen to Ben? Um, but I obviously did not bring it up with you because it's a very sensitive. Well, it was only your fourth wa- worst loss of the week. I mean, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I, I have unlimited text, so I guess maybe I could have sent one, but it just gets tedious after a while. Some of these recent losses. Um, in any event. Are you going to take up Taylor on this offer, Michael? I feel, I mean, it, it, first of all, you know, um, this email makes me feel very powerful, which I love. Um, sadly, I, I don't think I have that type of power. I will tell you that if I were to write a column saying that the Nets would win the championship, I would their their odds would drop to zero percent. That's just how it goes. I, with I think me. you do have this uh, power, Michael. I don't think you should be <laughs> humble about it. Like if you wrote that column, you probably would be able to deliver exactly what Taylor is asking. Um, what do you think? I I could. Uh, it, it would be a very like I'm an honest person when I write, you know, I can't just fake it. That's just not who I am. So it would be a very bad column. I don't think anyone would really want to click it and read it. So I, I can't I can't go there. I'm sorry. I understand. Well, we had one other clarifying question here from Garrett. He writes in to say, I'm a longtime listener, but this is my first time writing in. 
I'd like to start by congratulating Ben as he writes his first book and Michael for his position at SI. I can't wait to read Bubble Ball as well as all of Michael's future columns. Garrett, you know how to get on the show. Thank you for that. You can pre-order Bubble Ball on Amazon, Powell's, anywhere else you get books. He continues, I've thought about writing in multiple times, especially when my precious Atlanta Hawks get thrown a few seconds of airtime here or there, but I've not taken the time to do so. Not even last week when you both took Zach Levine over Trey Young for your Eastern Conference All-Star Reserves, which was truly disheartening. What finally warranted an email was Ben's absolutely atrocious take that this year's Brooklyn Nets are in any way comparable to the Golden State Warriors from 2017. I can only hope that you meant solely on the offensive end of the court, but as a team, this year's Nets would be swept in a final series against the Warriors from 2017. Have we become so far removed from the greatest team of all time that we're genuinely starting to compare any team from this season to them? Garrett, 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 hold your horses, hold your horses. All right, I uh, agree that the 2017 Warriors would easily handle this year's Nets. No question about it. All I was saying was, we're talking about the greatest offensive machines of all time. From an efficiency perspective, who is scoring the most easily? I would say that the 2017 Warriors deserve to be at the top of that list, especially for modern teams, because they could just you know, match up with anyone, beat any matchup, keep the ball moving, beat you from four or five different offensive positions. And it was just clinical. They had the depth. You know, They went seven or eight deep on their bench. They had just so many amazing lineup combinations that could score the ball. But this Brooklyn Nets team, and we've talked about them being top-heavy many times, Michael, the three guys at the top are all just absolute offensive efficiency monsters, especially this year. And you put those guys together, they have gelled much better and more quickly than I expected, and their offensive efficiency numbers are through the roof. I do think that their case this season and their numbers this season are inflated a little bit because no one's playing defense and because we're in empty arenas and you're seeing a lot of people shoot the ball more efficiently this year, I think because of some of those factors. So I do think it's a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison. But if we look back the last 10 years and say, what are the best offenses? I mean, I'm definitely going to put the Golden State offenses at the top, right? But I would take this Nets version over last year's Mavericks, which were off the charts from an efficiency standpoint. No question about it, especially mm. in a postseason format where you're, uh, you know, you're you're needing to adjust to individual matchups and and schemes that teams might throw at you. I'm not sure who else I'm putting above this year's Nets, other than that Warriors team uh, from like the last decade or so in terms of modern offenses. Michael, who would you put above them? I mean, these guys are absolutely off the charts. You know it. No, I I do and. I, I, I want to run something by you that might be a little harebrained, but I love it. I was thinking I was thinking about I knew you would. I was thinking about um, how good that those Golden State Warriors teams were on defense too, and how defense impacts offense. You know, you get a stop, you force a miss layup, you get to run in transition, etc. Like, given how great the Nets are off of misses statistically, and how fast they just get up the floor when the other team misses a shot, they get a defensive rebound. They're they're just unguardable um like is it more impressive that they're so bad at defense yet so good at off like could you imagine how good their offense would be if they actually could get stops consistently i think that it's like almost like they're they're operating on a higher degree of difficulty just because of how crappy they are on one end that is elite shade i'm going to give you credit for that that's incredible (laughs) i love it i love that argument the answer is yes if they actually got stops and could get out of transition life would be even easier and that's one more argument for that 2017 warriors team by the way right i mean they're getting stops constantly draymond can push the tempo Uh, i mean they they can beat you in transition as well 
Uh, I mean, they could beat you every single direction. I and mean, that was a ridiculous squad, 16-1 and one through the playoffs. And they didn't get enough credit at the time because people were still hung up on Kevin Durant's decision. Uh, their numbers, their efficiency differential, all that stuff is going to age like fine wine. And we'll see about these uh, these Brooklyn Nets. They could be boxed wine. It's absolutely possible. I mean, <laughs> but, but right now it's a lot of fun, and I'm going to continue hyping them up and try to convince you, Michael, to embrace them with your full heart. We'll see if it works. All right, guys, we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. That was fun, Michael. Great stuff on the All-Star snubs, on the jazz, and everything else. We got some other questions. We're rolling those over to next week. And if you want to join the party, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We would love to hear your takes on anything we talked about today or anything else as we get closer and closer to this All-Star break. Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben Doc Oliver on Twitter at Ben Golver. Like I mentioned, be sure to check out that extra bonus episode we had this week with Haley O'Shaughnessy. She was a great sport. She she broke down my entire personality, Michael, at the end with the astrology stuff. It kind of blew my mind. It was very scary how accurate and incisive it was. She gave me some great uh, advice about trusting people, which I immediately rejected because I'm a Scorpio. It was a lot of fun. In any case, Michael, until next week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.